When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics, Corey Crisson, looking tired down in Miami, spending time at the Hard Rock, watching this uh, Pitt football team just beat the tar out of Miami, and we will definitely get into that. Corey, how you doing? It was the first leg of the day spent at the Hard Rock Casino where... I, I went through the vibe, Gary. I don't chase the dollar. I chase the vibe. And <laughs> I put $20 in a machine, and I said, I'm going to let it ride. Whatever happens, happens. I doubled my investment, and I got out. I could have went for more. I could have kept playing. But I got my 40 cashed it out. That was it. You know, a nice day of college football. Nice day of college football. Watch the game. Uh, Ohio State-Michigan, the game. Uh, watched a little Clemson, watched a little Georgia, watched a little soccer as well, World Cup going on. So really nice all-around sports day for us. And then, of course, Pitt with an all-time beating on Miami. Wow. Uh, They saved the best for last, and we'll get into that here shortly. Yeah. Let's start with another Pitt team having some success. I mean, the Pitt women's volleyball team, we've brought them up here a couple times on the show, and I know it's something that you, you're passionate about as well. Well, they, they clinched another ACC championship, the fourth in six years. Uh, they're co-champions this year, but good stuff. I mean, what's the road ahead look like? What's the playoff picture? Well, now we're waiting on you know NCAA tournament and everything. So um, this is a team that has, I've said it before, a really good shot to make it far in the tournament, to get a run going, to get something started. And I'll tell you why. It's because their offense and the amount of angles and the amount of attackers they can get you with, it's so deep. And it's so just like anybody can lead Pitt in scoring and in kills and it blocks in any given night. You know, uh, Pitt clinches the ACC with a three set to nothing win over Boston College. 25-11, 25-14, two dominant first sets, and then Boston College rallied in the third. It was a 29-27. But the fact that Pitt, you know, 17-1 and in the ACC, that's the second-best ACC record in program history. Over the last six years, they've dominated this conference, 99-11 and record. And then, of course, uh, at home against the ACC opponents this year, 9-0. and So 
the, the way that this team kind of, we've talked about it before about how they've not only beat really good ranked teams, but they've also pretty much done away with them. Uh, only one of those wins against ranked teams went to five sets. And then of course they're probably their toughest competition this year is right within the ACC and it's Louisville. Um, so for this team and, you know, we'll see what happens, obviously, with the draw, what they get in the NCAA tournament. But we just wanted to touch on them briefly to start the show because, again, four and six years for at least a share of an ACC championship, well-deserved. And this is a team that, you know, number seven in the country has a lot of national championship potential behind it because of their length and because of the depth. And, again, because of just the job that Coach Dan Fisher is doing. And, you know, I'm going to get into the building um, you know, pretty soon here to do a feature on women's volleyball. And I'm pretty excited about it because this team is something special. It's really exciting right now. Definitely looking forward to reading about that. Um, It's interesting to, to follow some of the the teams that don't get the, the media coverage that the football and basketball team do. And especially when they're deserving, you know, it, it seems uh, like you'd rather spend your time talking about a team like this than the basketball team at times. So, We'll probably wrap the show with with where that sits, but let's get into football because, man, you and I had this game, the Miami Pitt game at the end of the season, pegged as for the Coastal when we first started doing this show together. I think we were both horribly wrong for, for, for a lot of reasons. I don't think we were as far off with Pitt as we were with Miami. I think we both expected Miami to be a lot better than they are. And I know they had quarterback trouble yesterday, but (laughs) there's a lot going on with that football team. Mario Cristobal does not seem to have the pulse of that tradition in Miami, and the players do not seem to have – they're not rowing in the same direction. Well, this Miami team is – for my money, the largest disappointment in college football all season, period, with regards to expectations. This team had the number thir- the number 16, pardon me, overall ranking class, recruiting class in the nation this year. Ten four-star players joined this program this year. Mario Cristobal, of course, six, tremendous success at Oregon, comes over here, is expected to reinvent the wheel, right? You get Josh yeah. Gaddis from Michigan as the offensive coordinator. You get rid of Manny Diaz, which Penn State's credit, you know, they're benefiting from having him now. But this was a team that brought in this really good recruiting class, was expected to pick everything up. Tyler Van Dyke was expected to take the next step. Bottom just completely falls out this year. Catastrophic losses at home, and this is another one. 42-16 to pit over Miami, and it was from start to finish, Gary. All pit, all dominance, all on each phase of the ball. I can't tell you one area, maybe aside from punting and even then, maybe, that <laughs> Miami like edged pit in. Um, well, they it, it had was a just, lot more cracks at that. This they <laughs> sure did. They sure did. I mean, it was just like I said, from, from total start to finish, pit 504 yards of offense, um, 27 first downs. They're four of eight on third down. You know, uh, eight yards per play. They average 14 yards of completion, six sacks, which, by the way, is an ACC lead. They are the ACC sack champions, or however you want to phrase it. You know, they needed, I think it was four to pass Louisville, and they got six. And, of course, 
three from Dayon Hayes. So in every which way, and look, the start of the Virginia game, right, with the two pick sixes, that's as good as it gets, obviously. Unprecedented, unreal, never before seen. This, what happened against Miami, is a peg below that. You force turnovers on the first two possessions of the game for Miami. You score on one of them. You get the second one down to the one and couldn't punch that in, but you get the ball right back and score anyway, and you're up 14 nothing early. And, you know, by the end of the first quarter, it's 21 nothing. By the end of the half, I should say, you force three turnovers. You know, I mean, Pitt did a tremendous job defensively. And Servassier Dennis said something that was really interesting to me uh, after the game. He said, yeah, Miami, I'm paraphrasing, Miami's black and white. Like, they knew what was coming. And they felt that they were in control based on the game plan and what they were able to do. They were able to control that game. And how many times have we been able to say that this year about Pitt, where they've been able to just be in control, maybe aside from a Rhode Island or a Western Michigan. So for Pitt to put this season, you know, uh, ending performance to end the regular season together and the way that they did it, you know, we obviously wanted to see these flashes of dominance earlier in the season and perhaps in a more consistent way. But, you know, this is a 4-0 month of November. Pat Narduzzi has owned November since he started to coach at Pitt. Just a great all-around, all-encompassing win to head into a bowl game. And now we get to see the fate of the Panthers and where they could potentially end up. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and come back. We obviously have more we want to talk about with this game. There was a lot to cover. Um and I'll give Corey a chance to suck down some coffee so he could be even more awake for the second segment. for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and we're going to pick up where we left off talking about pit football destruction. 
the Miami Hurricanes, which it feels great to say as a Pitt fan. Um, they've had good luck in Miami over the years, to be honest with you. They've had some pretty nice wins there, but this one was just dominant from the go. Uh, I was telling Corey in the break, and I, I figure I might as well reiterate it to you. You can pick a player, and if they wanted their stats to be bigger, they could have been. Uh, Izzy Abanacanda stopped with 15 carries and 111 yards. If they felt like it, he could have had 250 yards yesterday easily. They wanted to get Jared, Jared Wayne a thousand yard season, and they were throwing the ball when they didn't need to just to make it happen. 11 catches, 199 yards, and three touchdowns. Boy, did he finish the season strong, Corey. Jared Wayne had more yards after the catch than all except one of Miami's receivers had total. Wayne had 95 yards after the catch. Will wow. Mallory, by the way, led the Hurricanes in receiving at 103 yards, and nobody else eclipsed 60. So what they were able to do to get the ball into Jared Wayne's hands, I mean, 11 not just 11 catches, but on 13 targets, that's a standout thing to me, is that nothing was really forced to him. Not that – how do I phrase this nicely – not that Miami was doing a good job of guarding him anyway, because they did a good job of guarding nothing, to be fair. But when you're able to get the ball out 13 times to a receiver and he's able to bring 11 of them, that is telling of just the the type of coverage and the type of you know catches he was able to make. He had that amazing, amazing touchdown catch that – Again, um, on Miami, horrible tackling. I mean, oh, FCS <laughs> group of, I mean, awful tacking, tackling. Awful. Yeah. But to Jared Wayne's credit, you know, he runs hard. You know, if you watch that play, that long touchdown, he runs hard. He's a hard guy to bring down. He's not He's not a small guy by any means. Um, and then, of course, with Izzy, you mentioned it. You know, 111 yards, his ninth 100-yard game of the season – that's the most since Deion Lewis had 10 100-yard rushing games in 2009. And this is Doak Walker, I think, winner. And I'm going to write more about this in my follow-up. But, like, <laughs> a lot of players played their way out of the Heisman race over this last weekend. Sure, sure. Looking at C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Oh, my goodness. What a god-awful performance from Ohio State but um, a lot of players played their way down in the Heisman race and by the way now I think it's Caleb Williams and there's it's not even close at USC but where does Izzy stack up is he top 10 what does he rank as among Heisman you have to think about this he's not going to win it right but he's had that kind of season that at least puts him in the conversation. If there's a running back, let's say, in the top 10 of Heisman voting, it has to be Izzy, I think. It'd be hard pre- I'd be hard-pressed to find another running back. Statistically, it's going to be hard to find anybody, at least. yeah. Right. But my point is, I say all that to say this, it's that this is a player that obviously Pitt has started and ended with on the offense, even with Keen Slovis is up and down, you know, he was pretty good, by the way, 18 to 28, three touchdowns yeah. and interception, 256, 
169.3 rating. I have to go back and look at the game by game, but that might be his best of the season as far as quarterback rating. You know, Corey, um, is it is it too bold for me to say that as good as Keaton Slovis was yesterday, he left some throws on the table. There were, <laughs> there were a few there were a few more touchdowns to be had that that he missed. And that, I mean that probably speaks more to Miami than Pitt, but um I it was it was a performance I wish we had seen a little bit more often from him. He looked confident. His drops looked good. He did, he looked like he had some pocket awareness, you know, that that I hadn't really seen before and he was getting pressured. Um just Seemed like he he kind of just understood his progressions. Maybe the offense is finally starting to click for him, even if it's way too late for it to to do what we were hoping this year. Well, the offensive line, soggy butts aside, uh, <laughs> I had to work that into the show. Of that's course, an all, that's an all timer from Pat Narduzzi when he said Jake Cradle had soggy butt after the game. But he said <laughs> after the game that Jake Cradle had soggy butt during the game and. The full quote is on my Twitter. You can go look or in our uh, game story. <laughs> Tremendous stuff. I mean, that's an all-timer from Pat. Um, but soggy butts aside, again, no sacks for Keaton Slovis. And by the way, Cradle did rotate in at center. They put Zvobic at right guard. And then Mack and Slovis and Branson Taylor swapped in at left tackle. So another game where Pitt's offensive line undergoes some change and yet – it's almost like they never made that move because right. of the depth and how solid. And again, Miami, horribly coached team, horribly ga- horribly coached game, awful schematic. Pitt had everything doubted. The run, the touchdown run to is that Izzy had on the, if you're watching on TV on the right side of your screen, I don't know what north, south, whatever end, end zone that is. There was a, it was a beautifully designed blocking scheme where the line swept to the right pulled all the defensive linemen to the right, and then you saw Gavin Bartholomew kick out left, and he had just one chip. All he had to do was one chip. The whole, I mean, Gary, you or I could have ran through it. It was that good. It was that good of a blocking scheme. This offensive line has been tremendous over the last month. And you can, when you look at that success point, you know, 4-0 in November, you could start right there with Izzy and that offensive line being able to literally carry this team. It's been unbelievable the way they've played. Yeah, it's and that's the funny thing too. It's not as though what Pitt wants to do on offense is a surprise to anybody. You know what's coming. This this is actually old school football. If you're if you're a fan, like you know they're running at you. You know what's going to happen, and you can't stop it. And man, there's nothing nothing more fun to watch than an offense just impose its will. And I I, I think. Keaton Slovis progressing has really kind of helped open that up even a little bit more because now you can't just forego covering the secondary in lieu of stopping Izzy. And, uh, boy, we've seen a lot of different combinations. Miami was, I think, derelict in duty yesterday by forcing so many guys up to the line. Izzy was getting into that second level, and there was nobody there to stop him. I mean, if you let Izzy get to the open field, you're in trouble. And the way they were just setting up defensively, they were guaranteeing he was going to hit open field. Yeah, and again, credit to the blocking scheme again. I, I mean, it's a it's that mesh of just nobody being able to hit their keys correctly for Miami. I mean, this was 
Mario Cristobal, I mean, I don't know what you do with that guy down there. Wow. That that was a disaster. This whole season has been a disaster for Miami, but this game was kind of the cherry on top of everything for the Hurricanes. Yeah. So let's talk about the defense a little bit because the defense, you know, as much as it's important to cover the, the offense, they have to score points. The defense set them up all day, put them on a tee, getting turnovers, sacks, just absolutely dominated the defensive line of scrimmage. The secondary was strong, played a lot of depth in this game. Like Javon McIntyre just stood out to me like in the second half. I, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> I hadn't even really thought about him much until that game yesterday. Sebastian Dennis was just, a powerhouse again in the middle there really, really like what, where the defense has gotten to as the season's progressed. By the way, we asked Cervasier after the game, you know, what are your thoughts for next year? And this is a thread that we're going to expand on as the bull season comes in, as the season ends and all that, you know, we asked Cervasier, you know, what do you think for next year? And uh, his direct quote, I'm still undecided. You will find out pretty soon, I think. And moving forward, I'm just here to support my guys, end quote. So nice little tease there. Well-worded by Servasier to keep us guessing. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, so it starts with the Servasier pick. You think right at the beginning of the game, Tyler Van Dyke's leading him down the field, a couple of nice plays. And then Voss just steps in front of that one and, and takes it 67 yards and pits a business on the 30 and they score a couple plays later. And then that throw that Ja'Curry Brown, so Van Dyke went into the injury tent after that. You know, he came into the game with shoulder injury issues. Ja'Curry Brown enters, and he threw a pass to nowhere. It was kind of like what Slovis did last week against Duke on the route to Izzy where he was intercepted. Same exact thing, miscommunication, bad route, whatever it was, he threw a pass nowhere. And McIntyre was just in center field. You know, credit to him for being in the right position. He was just in center field, an easy interception for him for his first career. Um, and then, of course, with the uh, Eric Hallett strip and, and recovery, that sets up another um, that that easy touchdown that I talked about with the blocking. So, you know, again, three turnovers in that first half, 28 nothing lead. Uh, you know, I mean, this team, we've talked about time and time again and their ability to create these turnovers and thrive off of them. When you were able to take that momentum that quickly, um, and just seize it and just run with it, you know, and the offense was able to complement. You know, they talk about the cliche complementary football. This is what it looks like right here right. when your defense is turning into offense, when your offense is running fluidly and they possess the ball and they're giving the defense a chance to rest, and in turn the defense is making plays and and holding the opponent and. You know, they scored 16 points. Really, those were the game was inconsequential at that time. Those 16 points were inconsequential. This was they were playing against you know second and third stringers at that yeah. point too, all over the field. And you know, I think to circle back on on a guy I kind of I touched on earlier, but I just really want to kind of get your take on something because Jared Wayne I think ended up with a pretty impressive season. Is it more impressive that he did it with such a thin wide receiver core? Because he had to be the number one guy that opposing defenses wanted to take away from Keaton Slovis. 
Well, it's not just that either. It's with all the struggles coming from Slovis this season that we've documented time after time. You know, it it, it, it comes with the, you know, sustaining the concussion against Tennessee and having a, a banged up Nick Patty and then having Nate Yarnell play a game, which they barely threw. Keep that in mind right. too. They barely threw in that game. And look, Wayne... 55 catches, 1,006 yards. He's averaging 18.3 yards per reception with five touchdowns. 18 yards a catch for a guy that we weren't really expecting to go down the field and make all these huge plays. We expected him to be the possession receiver underneath. You know, Keen Slovis said it yesterday. You know, he's always been a great player, he thinks. And it was just a matter of him showcasing and him being able to. No, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, uh, Jordan Addison held Jared Wayne back because I don't think that's true. I saw that on Twitter yesterday, though. Yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. I'm not going to say that because I don't think that's necessarily true. And but you're not I, drunk, but okay. I'm drunk off of the coffee right now that I'm, uh, you know, the the bold blend down in the hotel lobby. Um but I think the prime example of what we've seen in terms of the style of play that Jared Wayne has has developed into was that touchdown that he had, the long touchdown. I saw him catch that football. He broke a couple tackles, and he got out to the far sideline. And he made a move that was just so, like, brute force athletic, like – he was going to get that damn touchdown by any means. Right. And if you watch the if you watch the playback, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you saw him into high gear, just kick it right there. And I'm not saying we haven't seen that from him in the past, but it seems like he's been able to just like naturally do it and naturally get there instead of maybe instinctually just trying to find open space, but you know, trying to actually beat someone to a corner or trying to actually go maybe through somebody. Like his aggressiveness and his ability, like I said before, this man has a good catch radius. He has good hands. He's a good route runner. He's a good receiver. But we haven't necessarily seen him get the opportunity to flourish as a one. You know, it would, again, not holding him back per se was Jordan Addison, but there was obviously a different role for him to take on as a wide receiver too, while Jordan's winning a Bolitnikov. So now that Jared is the one and he's the guy, and like you said, not much more behind him, but when you're in a run first offense, when your running back is running for 1400 yards in a season and winning the ACC rushing title, you don't need to have your wide receiver catch, you know, a, a 1500 yards in a season. And by the way, Izzy and Jared, both with thousand yard season. How about that? So. Yeah, I, I didn't see any wide receiver getting a thousand yards this year. So, pretty excited about that for him and for the team. Um, we've never, throughout the entire regular season, got to the point where Gavin Bartholomew was being used regularly. That's just something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on. Um, if I'm Gavin Bartholomew, I'm personally looking at the transfer portal because his skill set to me lends itself to being in an offense that uses the tight end in an offensive way. Now I'll say this to maybe calm some nerves on that. I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm saying the thought has come into my mind. Maybe he's still not a hundred percent healthy. 
and that has something to do with it. That shoulder injury he sustained against Rhode Island, if you remember, you know, he had, you know, he had come out of the game, he had the shoulder in a sling. I don't know if he's 100%, and that might have a little bit to do with it, but some of what Frank Signetti said last week about Gavin's growth as a more all-encompassing tight end is going to come, and Signetti wants to work the ball more to Gavin. Was that a comment about this year or a comment about next year? I think that was a comment about next year. And looking forward to, uh, uh, I'm putting my, I'm not calling it a tinfoil hat, but I'm putting a hat on here. I don't know what kind of hat it is. It's a hat though. (laughs) And the hat is that I'm not sure if Gavin is at 100% and that might explain why he's not getting as many touches. They want to try to preserve it while keeping him in the game as we saw that block he threw on the Izzy touchdown. We know he's he's a guy that someone has to key in on. He's still a player that has to be watched. You know, even though the numbers aren't there, he still, you know, he didn't lose the talent overnight. This wasn't Space Jam, you know, where he got the talent drained from him. So I'm thinking that there's still more to come from Gavin. I don't think this is anything close to what Gavin could be or what Gavin is. But I think that there's just this mix of a lot of different things that resulted in this season for Gavin. And... Of course, the coordinator change has quite a bit to do with it, but also it has a little bit, I think, to do with the health. And obviously, nothing's been confirmed by Pat Narduzzi, Gavin, the university, whoever. So this is just my theory, my speculation, my opinion on it. And, right. um, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what happens in the offseason. I'm starting to lean towards him not transferring just because, again, if he's not healthy, then, you know, that's on him. That's not on Pitt to use him right. if he's not healthy. So we'll see. But it's it's been a curious case. I'm still searching for the truth on it, if you will. But one day we'll eventually get there. Well, moral of the story is Pitt finishes the regular season with an 8-4 and four record. A little bit less than I think a lot of us were hoping for, but still a pretty good season. They're going to go to a decent bowl game. We'll know that next week. Talk about it a little bit more. In the meantime, we should probably take a quick break and come back and wrap up with pit hoops a little bit. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because this portion of the non-conference schedule is really not something that you can glean a lot of uh, happiness from. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Um, Corey is recovering from dangerously dropping a pen on a hotel room floor and trying to recover from how insanely filthy that would be. So so just to make him feel a little extra dirty, we're going to talk pit hoops because even though they have won um, some of these non-conference games, uh, FDU and ASU in particular, haven't particularly put together a whole game yet and against this kind of competition if you're gonna put together a full game that's where it's gonna be that's where it's gonna start to develop Corey, i am not letting the score 
bury the lead for me. I'm still not seeing systems. I'm still not seeing defense run in a, in a way that makes me feel like it will translate to the conference schedule. I, maybe I'm just too much of a fan here. What are you seeing? Well, to clarify one thing, this is not a dirty hotel by any means. This is, <laughs> this is more about me exaggerating. Um, number two, okay, basketball. Um, this is a really nice hotel. Uh, number two, basketball. Here's, I took time during the break to write on my coffee sleeve, the, uh, my cup sleeve, the first and second half splits that Pitt had to go through over these last three games. At the half, the combined margin against Alabama State, Fairleigh Dickinson, and William and Mary, it was an even 99 to 99. Pitt 99, opponent 99 in the first half. In the second half, the margin explodes to Pitt 137, opponent 80. A 57-point margin. So I said this in one of our um, – actually in my column that I wrote after the uh, Fairleigh Dickinson game. The top half of the teams in the ACC might have a bad half against one of these three teams. But a top half team in the ACC, like one of the top eight, will not struggle in the first half against all three. That's my problem. You said it. They haven't put together a complete 40 minutes of basketball pretty much since the opener against Tennessee Martin. So from that point, you know, what do you point to? What do you look at? Is it a motivational issue? Is it a game planning issue? And that would obviously make a big credit to the adjustments that Jeff Cable has had to make at halftime. But where does it start? You know, like you mentioned, the offense still hasn't really found its footing. I think the glaring thing is the lack of a second ball handler. True. It's so glaring at this stage that they don't have somebody behind Nellie Cummings to take on some of the responsibilities of ball handling. They want, I think, Jamarius Burton to be that, but Burton is way better off the ball than he is on it. Way better. He does not need to be handling the ball. So that's the thing they need to figure out. And then there's the lack of just execution on defense. You know, over these last three games, you know, again, John Hughley hasn't been 100%, and that has something to do with it. Will Jeffries is out. They're still adjusting. That has something to do with it. I understand that. But there's still been breakdowns in these first halves that have, you know, really popped the eyes. You know, it's it's a lack of crash in the boards. It's a lack of aggressiveness. It's, you know, poor rotations. It's reach-in fouls. It's all these little things that are adding up, and that's why you see, again, an even 99-99 to 99 scoring margin in these first halves of these last three games. Right. So what happens in the second half? Defense shores up. They're able to find some footing with shooting. That's another component of it, too, obviously, is – They haven't shot the basketball, at least from three-point range, particularly well over these last handful of games. So it's a blend of just quite a bit of things right now. And like I said, top half of the league doesn't struggle with all three in the first half. It might be one, but it's not all three. Yeah, I mean, I I think for for John Hughley, I hate to give them an excuse there on defense because 
even when he's at the height of his powers, defense isn't necessarily his, you know, claim to fame. Mm-hmm. He, he's not, this isn't the Sidney Crosby of the basketball court. He's not playing all every foot of this court, you know, but uh, overall, I think what you can take from that is maybe Capel is doing a decent job at adjusting at halftime. You know, if they're coming out and playing a little bit more cohesive afterward, is that reasonable? I think so. I think so. Um, I want to see a little bit more out of Guillermo Diaz-Graham. We've seen Jorge get quite a bit of run, and he's played well, by the way, over these last uh, several games. Jorge's looked really good. Um, I want to see a little more Guillermo. I want to see what not just he can do, but – there's something to twin energy and twin synergy on the floor. I want to see if those two can can make a rotation out of it. We can make a twin a twin towers, if you will. By the way, the official unofficial nickname for uh, Jorge is the pterodactyl, as coined by Fairleigh <laughs> Dickinson's head coach. We're still looking for and tweet me a suggestion or leave it in the comments here. We need nicknames for the twins. You know, we can't just have the Guillermo and Jorge Diaz Grand, the Diaz Grand brothers. We got to have something. So give us your We can do better than this, Pittsburgh. Somebody step <laughs> up and give Corey something, and then you'll see it in every piece he writes the rest of the season. It'll be exciting. I'll use it 100%. I'll use it. Absolutely. So, Corey, I think that's all we got this week. Next week, we'll be talking about bowl games and ACC championship runs and. <coughs> Oh, cough button. Yeah, cough sorry, button. Brad. Hey, real quick before we sign off, I did want to one more quick uh, shout here. Pat Narduzzi uh, is now officially second in pit program history with 61 wins. That win over Miami put him over Pop Warner for second all time. Pop Warner had 60 in between 1915 to tw- uh, 1923. Narduzzi at 61. And then number one, of course, Jock Sutherland with. 111 wins. So wanted to give a quick note there for uh, Pat Narduzzi. Second all-time now in program history for wins as head coach. Well, that's good news. I, I fully expect everyone on social media to stop calling for his head. Yeah, well, that, sir. <laughs> best of luck with that, sir. I'll talk to you uh, next week when I'm back in uh, warm-ish Pennsylvania for this time of year, seasonal. Well, it's pouring down rain right now, so uh-huh. we'll, yeah. We'll see how your flight goes. I hope it comes in all right. I'll be Um, in late tonight, so we'll talk soon, Gary. Thanks. Hey, without further ado, hail to Pitt.